0: As we think about how to make healthy food more accessible, I think we also need to pull in the idea of sustainability and making sure that the prices that we are demanding are still sustainable for the people growing.
1: You may be what you eat, but healthy has a different definition for everybody. From Food Equality Initiative, I'm Sophia Gillespie, and welcome to Free From Podcast. is healthy? Who gets to decide what is healthy? And why is there often a, quote, health food tax on these items? Today, we're going to talk about price setting from the manufacturing and retail side, and also some changes that are happening and need to happen in order to make fresh and, yes, quote, healthy food more accessible for all. To do that, I invited Lisa Reagan, an award-winning business owner based here in Kansas City. Her brand, Safely Delicious, is a producer of snacks that are free from the top 11 food allergens, gluten-free, vegan, and have no artificial flavors or preservatives. So let's get into it.
2: Hi Lisa, thanks for joining us. Hi Sophia, thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure and an honor to be here and part of your podcast, so thank you. Well, and we're excited to get to learn more about
1: you and your mission at Safely Delicious. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to start Safely Delicious?
2: Sure. So I'm a mom of four children who all have multiple food allergies, and I, I do as well. So I've been in this arena of allergen-free foods uh, for uh, prior to my business, uh, just to as the consumer. Uh, unfortunately, though, due to my kids' food allergies, they used to struggle when they were younger to feel included at uh, birthday parties, social events, school activities. And so they didn't, weren't always able to eat while all the other kids were eating. So I used to look at what their friends would eat and I would come up with things that would look and taste similar to what their friends would eating. So they would still feel included and part of the activity or social event Um, over the years a lot of their friends never knew that what my kids were eating was different Um, they would eat it too and think it was the same thing uh, because my snacks the things I would replicate for them like I said would always look and taste like what the other kids were eating and then many years later I brought it to work everybody thought I bought it I told them the backstory they were like you should sell it and I was like okay maybe I will (laughs) (laughs) And this was back in uh, November of 2015. And so on that same day was basically when Safely Delicious, the idea was born. Wow. And did you think you would be in the food manufacturing business? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I did not come from a business background. I was, you know, reading books and going to webinars. And then I got like a, a business advisor. He was great at helping me understand costs and the margins and understanding the difference between, you know, the cost of the product, the distribution price, the wholesale price, the reason, like all those things. Initially, I was just like, I'm a food business. It's like, no, you manufacture. It's like, oh, I guess I do. Yeah, that's one
1: of the main reasons we invited you on today was to really talk about that process of not becoming a food manufacturer, although it sounds like you could talk about that for hours because that's your (laughs) life. I would say the vast majority of people listening to this won't have any idea about becoming a food manufacturer or anything. Like we just buy the foods at the grocery store. Right. And we kind of just don't question how much they are, except recently when things like inflation and the price of gas and, you know, just general money doesn't go as far as it used to. Right. So I'm just curious if you could let us know, like, what are some of the elements that go into setting prices for your products?
2: Well, sure, a little bit different, I think when it comes to allergy-friendly foods versus non-allergen free foods. When I was trying to determine the price for how I would sell safely delicious snacks, and this is again, going back many years ago, my business advisor had given me uh, an activity, a homework, and I went and compared the prices of three or four items in the non-allergen aisle. And then I went and compared them in the allergen aisle in order to get a percentage of what that markup looked like. That was like my first wow. Like, I mean, I know there's a difference, but it was like a big difference. So knowing there is this huge percentage difference between those products and our products. Then when I started figuring out how I was going to price it, it was like, okay, so I know what things are costing, but what am I going to charge? Like, you know, and so to that point is you start playing with these percentages and you're like, okay, well, what seems to be a safe, you know, a, a feasible percentage? And again, keeping in mind, you know, depending on where you're selling your product as a manufacturer determines how big or small that margin is going to be and what you can actually afford, what you can handle as a small business. And that's the thing. Unfortunately, a lot of these allergy friendly companies, when they start out, they start out small like me. And so you have limited buying power. You have limited capital. You know, you have you just have you're limited. Um, You know, you're not going out like a big General Mills company buying like hundreds of thousands of packaging, like you're buying maybe 50,000 bags, packaging alone can cost literally as much as your ingredients, if not more. It's insane, the packaging thing. And that varies, again, that's your buying power, how much you can afford to buy. Then what will a consumer be willing to spend or pay for such product? Is $5 in change, is that too much, is it not enough? If I wanna start selling it to a grocery store and I'm selling it direct, I'm selling it wholesale, will they expect to be able to it up You know, again, with ideally with health food, um, you know, the lowest they might go is 30 percent, 35 percent from what they buy it and then sell it up to the consumer. However, some grocery stores will get greedy because they know that the people that have to buy these products are used to paying more. Something I think you were, you know kind of maybe leading with, with your question of what the consumer knows and understands and does not is that, you know, I can, as the manufacturer go, okay, so it costs me X amount for all these different ingredients. And the ingredients right off the bat are always going to cost more because they're allergen free. And the reason those ingredients cost more is because a lot of times the facilities that are, you know, the, the costs that are involved in having these facilities that are going to be you know, contaminant free and have to take all these extra precautions in order to make sure the product that they're making, that I'm going to be buying or other, you know, manufacturers will purchase from them. They've got their thing built into their price of what they're charging us.
1: And those are like specially certified places, right? Right.
2: Exactly. If it's a facility that is certified gluten free, if it is a facility that is, you know, dairy free, you know, whatever it is, whatever the certifications are that that facility has, they pay extra. They, it costs them more to even be that kind of facility. And so that's where, for like myself, all the ingredients we use are coming from facilities that are certified to be safe and free of the ingredients we say our products are free of. And that's a big deal for us because again, we are small, but yet I want people to trust us. I want them to know that as a mom, my own kids are safe to eat this that someone else's kids would be safe too. So the precautions I take it, what we use and who we purchase from and the facilities that these products are coming from, there's, you know, we get an extra ding in our pricing because of that. Then you might sell it to a distributor. So there's some grocery stores that might buy from us direct. And then there's others who go through a distributor. So again, it's like you're going through all these different levels of markup, markup, markup. And I, as the manufacturer, I will say, okay, well, I have a suggested retail of, you know, $5 and change under $6. Like I've always been like, it should stand under $6. Like I just, would I buy it as a consumer? If it's like, even myself, that's always been my little test. Like, would I buy it? Um, but that being said, I can make the suggested price that I feel is fair based on what I know my costs are and what my margins are, what I've marked it up for that distributor, and then what I believe they are marking it up then to their grocery store, and then hoping the grocery store is only marking up maybe 30 to 35 percent to the consumer. Then a lot of the manufacturers of, say, an ingredient that I would need, they can't access the ingredients they need to make their product. So, for example, the pretzels. For months, we couldn't access the pretzels we use for our savory medley, our Casey style product, because the company that made the pretzels, they couldn't source some of their gluten-free ingredients. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so now I can't make the product. So that's the supply chain nightmare that i everyone's been hearing about, right? Yes. And it's a real thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I remember the government also said because of supply chain problems that companies are allowed to change ingredients without necessarily changing the ingredient label. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I don't think you considered that too much because of the industry that you're in, but that's definitely something that went around at that time. And people who were consumers of your product, I'm sure, we're worried
2: about. Well, absolutely. And and interestingly that did affect our business because oh. it turned out one of our ingredients did change slightly. What was in their ingredient And they did they tell you? No. Oh didn't no, not. I did not know that they had changed their ingredient. There was one more ingredient added that it's like, okay, well, I have to have that on my packaging. You gotta redo the nutrition label. It's not just change the ingredients. So now you have to make sure did the sodium go up or down? Did the fat go up or you know, anything. Okay, so now they've changed the ingredient, they've increased the price of the ingredient, and now that's forced me to have to go, Okay, so how does that trickle through everything else? You know, because I've gotta now buy new packaging. And um, the ingredient went up in cost, so that means my costs now just all went up. And the packaging now also just all went up. It just snowballed. People look and they think it's just like, eh, we just like to raise the prices. It's like, mm. Yeah, there's
1: a lot that goes into it.
2: There is. And, and I really don't want to if I don't have to. Sometimes people, if they see our pricing, they see it one price one place and another price someplace else. It's the discretion of the business, unfortunately. Like, I can give them what I, you know, this is our recommended price. I can have the price. I have it on our website. I can have it, you know, direct if somebody's working direct with me. This is what I'll sell it to you for. But what they turn around and sell it to the consumer, unfortunately, um, I have no control
1: over. Well, to continue along that vein, how can we work together both as consumers and as independent food producers What are some things we can do together to help make food more accessible for people? I
2: think, you know, as a consumer, like one of the the first places you can start is, you know, speaking to those department managers at the store or even the store directors. Like I saw this happen even with Safely Delicious years ago. You see that our product is priced at one price. And then because it happens to be a certain time of the year or it's Super Bowl season or whatever it is, They decide, hey, we're going to mark everything up because the people that buy this stuff have to pay more anyway. So we're going to mark it up because we can get even more margins out of this over here than, you know, in some other areas of the grocery store. So I feel like as a consumer, if you notice these kinds of things are happening, I think you should say something to the department manager that you've noticed this and you're not okay with it. I think saying something to the grocery store directors, and maybe you even have to take it to the corporate level and say, I am a consumer. I am one of your customers. I am a regular customer at your store. I appreciate that you guys have this great department, this great area with all these, you know, wonderful allergy friendly products that are great for me and my family. You know, but I have an issue with why our products or a lot of the products in this area tend to increase. If you'd still like my business, it'd be great to see you guys being more competitively priced or more fairly priced. If not, I might take my business somewhere else. Yeah. So it really
1: is important to, I don't know. I think a lot of us just take for granted at the grocery store, it's priced this way. That's how much I have to pay if I want this product, but that's not always the case. right? It may not be a full on barter system, but there is something to be said about using your voice and And making it known that you don't want to be overpriced
2: and you want to be charged fairly. Right. As a consumer, personally, first and foremost, before I'm a business owner, I think this conversation is wonderful in regards to bringing to light that a lot of the products that are in this allergen-free space are marked up more than they should be. But I also know, as I've shared earlier, it's not necessarily the doing of the manufacturer. Yes, because of a variety of reasons we talked about earlier, the prices may in fact be 50% more than non-allergen or whatever the percentage might be. I mean, there there is going to be that. There just is, unfortunately, because we don't have the same supply and demand for our products as the non-allergen stuff. Well, and I believe that the United States government subsidizes a
1: lot of the products that are used in more mainstream things, you know, like milk and corn and the mm-hmm. wheat grains and not the gluten-free grains. And so there's that overhead price as well when you're trying to make a, a product that doesn't have milk and doesn't have wheat in it. Oh, absolutely. So perhaps that's another thing that our government could look more into,
2: subsidizing, you know, more healthy foods, right? Exactly. And even, you know, the mothers and babies that are part of the WIC program and you know, mom is allergic to cow's milk, but she can't get a voucher so she can get rice milk. There's certain things that you've shared with me before about, you know, there's certain ingredients like, okay, you can't eat this, so we're gonna give you this instead, but it can't be used in the same way. It's like, okay, you can't eat peanut butter, so I think didn't you say then they're gonna give you beans? Because it's protein. That's correct. Yeah, that's for the this is for the WIC program. Right. And another lifetime ago I, I had worked for WIC as a breastfeeding peer counselor and I would see that, but it's even more prevalent now. I was working with them at the in the late nineties and um, here we are, <laughs> decades later, and not much has changed. And yet food allergies you know, has dramatically increased. One in 13 kids have food allergies and how many, you know, hundreds or thousands of adults percentage-wise have food allergies. And so then when you look at these moms that are on WIC, but yet the things they're being given, if they can't eat it or drink it, it doesn't help them. And that's that right there would be, I feel, (laughs) that could be like a really, just a basic starting place that if they wanted to at least tackle that and then spread it out into other areas of how to help all with food allergies. But again, I'm not in government. So <laughs> these are just suggestions, right? Just yeah. a suggestion. If anyone out there is listening that happens to be in government, you know, I think taking a look at that WIC program and it's just common sense. If somebody can't do peanut butter, why would you give them beans? If you can't eat bread, the substitute
1: is just white rice. Like I can't make a sandwich out of that either. So I mean, exa-
2: right. You couldn't do peanuts and you can't do gluten, so yeah, so if that was me, you're gonna have beans and rice.: That's exactly that's what I'll send them to school, and, and I'll put it in foil, a little baggie here's your Here's your beans and your rice for lunch. while everybody else is in there eating a sandwich. <laughs> that to me seems like a a common sense place that I think they should absolutely look at that they could easily may not be easy, but it's doable. I I can't even see why it couldn't be doable for them to relook at the program and come up with better options. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is
1: a very interesting time, too, because the White House is doing this whole conference about how they can improve nutrition and end hunger. And like, here we go. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see some changes start to happen.
2: Yes, that would be great. There's all these different layers, all these different people or groups that all play a part in where we end up as a consumer when we're in the grocery store.
1: Well, that's a great way to sum it up. You know, we're all interconnected. What you see in the grocery store didn't just get there. And it's not set at that price willy-nilly. Like, it's all connected. And consumers and manufacturers and grocery store owners and farmers, like, we all have a voice and we can all use it to help make sure our food is meeting our nutritional value that we want. The quality is what we want it to be, and then it's priced fairly. So I think that's very important for us all to remember. To continue this conversation along the path of government assistance programs, I brought back my good friend from college, Meryl Davis, who works for LinkUp Illinois, which is a program from Experimental Station in Chicago.
0: So Meryl, can you tell us a little bit about what your program does? Yes, we run a program called Link Match, and it is an incentive program where a customer with SNAP benefits can go to a farmer's market, use their SNAP dollars, and receive matching funds in what we call Link Match vouchers um, to then pro- uh, purchase fresh produce at the market. So, the idea being that we are stretching the dollar. Um, Of a customer with SNAP benefits by saying, you know, if you spend up to $25 with your SNAP card, uh, we will match you in up to $25 in link match vouchers. And so effectively, they've got $50 to work with, $25 specifically designated for fresh produce, and the other $25 that came off their card, they can use for any um, SNAP eligible items. A customer would need to go to a farmer's market that is participating in the link match program in the state of Illinois. Those vouchers cannot be used uh, at uh, brick-and-mortar stores right now. Uh, We're kind of keeping those programs separate simply because brick-and-mortar is still in its pilot phase. Uh, So we're still trying to understand the impact of the program in those spaces before we mix it with our very established farmer's market programming.
1: So it is basically doubling your amount. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: It is doubling your dollar, but it is specifically for fresh produce. Uh, You can't use those vouchers to buy like honey or eggs. Um, it is specifically for fruits and vegetables.
1: So that's really good because it's helping people get more produce, right? Which is generally something that's more expensive at a store or at, especially at a farmer's market because they're local produce, but it's also helping stimulate the the local economy and that's awesome. That sounds like a great program.
0: It is, yes. Do you know just generally what snap benefits cover? Um, snap benefits cover any foods that are not alcohol or tobacco and are not like ready-made hot meals. Um, so you can't use your snap benefits at a restaurant. Other than that, they are for you to purchase whatever kinds of foods you want. Um, and and what's really cool too is that it also covers seedlings, plants. Um, um, if you wanted to grow your own food, which i I don't know if that's new, but it is something that I just recently learned That is exciting. It has to be food bearing, so it can't it can't be like flowers, but um, unless they're edible. Well, and I love that too, because it's
1: getting more into that vein of self-sustaining and you can use that whether it's in your home garden or maybe even you know, put it in a community garden and and your your neighborhood gets to share it and then you can reap the seeds from whatever you're growing and replant them again next year. So it's kind of a the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. I think there's, I mean, there's some truth to it, but I think there's also some just preconceived notion that it's going to be more expensive to eat healthier or, you know, more nutritious or have the fresher
0: food. You're right. I mean, eating healthy has kind of seen like a a premium around it for a really long time. And um, I'm excited by the work being done to make it more accessible in terms of cost, but also kind of the thinking around it and, and what quote eating healthy uh the connotation around eating healthy means even like uh being dairy free at a coffee shop right you have to pay like a dollar extra for your almond milk or for your oat milk and oh yeah oat milk in theory should be cheaper to produce right because uh it's not as resource uh heavy i don't think like almonds i understand lots of water goes into that but oats If if i understand correctly should perhaps be a little bit more cost effective and There's still the Mm upcharge, but they're not subsidized by the U.S. government, like milk. It is true. (laughs) Yes, the dairy, the dairy industry is heavily subsidized, and um, that definitely contributes to the prices that we see on the consumer end. Yeah. Well, and I think that's
1: for a lot of products, we don't necessarily realize that they are subsidized by the U.S. government, and like these aren't necessarily the most nutritious, beneficial items. So it's things like like dairy products and wheat. And like, there's a ton of other grains that are better for you than wheat or, you know, at least on par, but they're not subsidized by the government. And so they're expensive to buy, you know, things like ancient grains, like the quinoa. And and so I guess that's kind of answering my next question already, but there are studies out there from Harvard and, and other places that show that what we know as healthy foods are significantly more expensive than unhealthy foods. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that we can do about that, like maybe from the consumer level, like how we can do better at advocating for, you know, the prices to come down or at least be, have us be boosted in a way, or if there's anything maybe, you know, from your nonprofit side or from the top down, what we can do to, to make healthy foods more accessible.
0: It has to be a multi pronged solution, and part of it is kind of what you were touching on in terms of subsidies and making sure that, or advocating for subsidies for locally grown, sustainably grown foods so that the prices on the wholesale side can drop, wholesale being um, the price that a processor or producer sells their food to a store at. And then that in turn can drop the consumer price so that it is more affordable. I think what's important to consider, too, is that we more often than not do not pay the true price of food, especially fresh produce, uh, including vegetables and fruits. And so when we see an apple at the store and it costs three dollars compared to another apple that costs one dollar, I think what's important to consider is what effort is going behind growing that apple and Um, When you look at the $1 apple, there are heavy subsidies and other ways to kind of um, bring that cost down, but it could come at the detriment of labor, of growing practices, of environmental impacts. And so as we think about how to make healthy food um, more accessible, I think we also need to kind of pull in the idea of, of sustainability and making sure that the prices that we are demanding are still sustainable for the people growing. And so those subsidies would hopefully help um, small farms specifically grow their food and be paid a livable wage, have their workers being paid a livable wage, and then that price not be falling directly on the consumer so that they have the onus of making the decision between, you know, a $3 locally grown, sustainably grown apple and a $1 apple that was grown uh, not sustainably, not locally, and we don't know the labor practices of the farm. Drawing the connection between all of the pieces in in the food supply chain and, and like I said before, kind of unveiling what's going on behind The food appearing at your grocery store um, for your consumption. Mm -hmm. It's that health equity piece, right? It is that health equity (laughs) piece for
1: sure. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously getting the prices down is just one part of the battle. The next is to encourage people to choose the healthier food when grocery shopping. And that has to come from education. So I don't know if you have any recommendations for
0: how we can encourage more nutritious choices at the grocery store. Um, Well, I think the Link Match program is a great part of a solution to encouraging people to buy more fresh produce. We, um, Like I said, we're kind of piloting a program in brick and mortar stores where it's the same model. If you spend your snap dollars at this store, we'll give you... Matching dollars to then spend on fresh produce. And that program is designed to encourage people to at least purchase produce. Um, And then we have partnerships with other organizations that can help with kind of nutrition ed and food education um, around recipes and um, food storage, things like that. I think that is a good way of encouraging more produce purchasing and, and perhaps even cooking then. I would say what's important to perhaps consider too is the way in which we're trying to encourage nutritious and health. There is some literature out there and I'm thinking specifically about the uh, Duke. I think it's their World Food Policy um, Center. They put out a brief, a research brief about how racism shows itself in the food justice world. And, And one of those points was about what equals health and what equals healthy foods. And so just being cognizant of what other culturally relevant and appropriate foods are also healthy and perhaps are not in the mainstream concept of what equals health. And so, you know, when building food education programs or even just food programming in general, considering what other cultures consider healthy.
1: Unfortunately, that gets swept under the rug more often than not, like Healthy doesn't have an exact definition, and by categorizing some cultural foods as healthy and excluding others is not an accident. And that's, you know, the whole point of Free From Podcast, to show that healthy does have a different definition for everybody. body. Meryl, thank you so much for joining us on Free From Podcast. It's been wonderful to hear about, you know, the work that you're doing in Chicago, and hopefully we're able to see benefits like that just across our nation, because- I know SNAP benefits are regulated state by state, which is kind of bonkers and could be a whole episode on its own. But (laughs) it's just been really great to hear from you and and hear about your love of food. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is this is a blast.
1: And I'd like to say a huge thank you to Lisa Reagan from Safely Delicious for sharing her knowledge and expertise on food and manufacturing and grocery stores and pricing and all that good stuff. Sponsored by Food Equality Initiative, I'm Sophia Gillespie, and this has been Free From Podcast. Please visit foodequalityinitiative.org to learn more and make a contribution to further our fight for nutrition security and health equity. Thanks for listening.